This is the AMA Los Angeles podcast. Are you ready? Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. I'm Joel Metzger. We're on location again at the Digital Entertainment World Expo in Marina Del Rey. And with me today is Kevin Cornish. He is CEO of Conversive and founder of Moth and Flame. He's also a leading director of high-end cinematic VR. In fact, he's the first fully VR director to ever be signed by CAA. And for people who aren't in the industry, CAA is a little boutique agency in Century City. He's created content for IBM, Google, Oculus, Discovery, MTV, Ram Truck, AT&T, AMD, and has worked with talent including Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss. Thanks for coming on, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Um, so you just got off the, the panel, and you're covered in cuts and bruises. It must have been a really <laughs> great panel. What were some key takeaways? Well, the biggest thing was talking about what's the difference now between a year ago and how fast technology has been growing. Um, and specifically, the thing that for me that's most interesting is how much AI technology has been brought in, and especially as it relates to uh, natural language processing and what that means for conversation. Okay. So one of the places that I'm most interested in is how do you recreate face-to-face -face conversation in immersive mediums, whether that's in VR and augmented reality or on your phone, like you're getting FaceTime conversations. What are all those things that need to happen to make it feel like you're really talking to a person when that conversation may be scaled? Where it's, if I want to communicate a message, the best way to communicate that message is through a conversation. Right. But the challenges of one-to-one -one conversation are that it's fundamentally unscalable. But that was also the way that people thought about letters before email. How is it, how is it fundamentally unscalable? Because being able to be someplace with one person being able to have eye contact. We mean actual human face-to-face. -face. Yeah. I thought you were talking about conversation technology. Yeah. Okay. So you ho hopefully that will replace the, or augment the uh, the face-to-face. -face. Yeah. So when you think about communicating a message, that the way that we want to learn is through conversation. That if you look at the rise in messenger apps like Slack, the reason why is because when you're communicating back and forth, you learn faster. And so if you're communicating a message being able to communicate in that in a way that has somebody engaged in a back and forth is, is the most powerful way to do it. Um, being able to do that face to face has scaling limitations. So it's this idea of what if you could have a conversation once and a thousand people could have that conversation with you thinking that you're talking directly to them each time. Right. And to really make that possible, advances in AI are the most important piece. Does the Turing test come into this? Like, I mean, aren't, 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 isn't that what you're going for? Not being able to tell the difference between a human and a... It's a, it's, a good, it's a good question. A place where this question comes up is when people talk about virtual reality. Mm -hmm. That they'll ask, do people really want to live in virtual reality? Do they really want this thing that's not real? And... When I hear that question, the place where my mind immediately goes is, we already are. The people that we follow on social media, we're not following those people. We're following di digital representations of who those people want us to think that they are. And that 
that's the virtual reality that we're already living in. So in thinking about what is the, what is the practical meaning of a touring test is that how authentic somebody's social media feed is that makes you feel like that's really them and that's not them putting on a facade. Right. But I think that's, I think the questions that relate to authenticity and communicating authenticity, that those are the real challenges as opposed to the challenges of simulating what it means to be, to be human. And we aren't necessarily trying to fool anybody thinking this is an actual human person. You're just trying right. to get as close a representation as possible or as close to the experience as possible as actually talking to someone. Yeah, it's having that face-to-face conversation, being able to make eye contact and communicating with people the way that our brains are wired to take communication. Well, let's back up and go to virtual reality. For those of us who have not experienced virtual reality, what's a newbie experience when you get in there? What's it actually uh, look like and feel like? Well, a great first-time experience for anybody would be something that's being done by this company, Dreamscape. Mm-hmm. It launches at Century City Mall uh, this week and runs in a pod that's based at the mall. Dreamscape's a company that's, whose main funders are AMC movie theaters and Westfield Malls. And it's an experience by Steven Spielberg. And it's you are transported to another world. It's called Alien Zoo. And it's like Jurassic Park with aliens. And you are inside of this zoo. And you're completely immersed in this world. And you're just on a ride. And everywhere that you look, things that you touch, it all exists inside of this world on this in this alien planet and everything that's in your imagination is there in front of your eyes is this um is it kind of like a sandbox experience where you can go absolutely everywhere or is it more like a guided uh, you kind of go from it's kind of like a theme park where you can look anywhere you want but you're actually moving through the ride is it something like yeah that? it's like uh it's you're there with six people so you're there you can talk to other people that you've that you've come with and then you're kind of on a ride through this experience. So I haven't done any virtual reality, but I can I can imagine like for a sporting event or a concert or something, it is great to be able to look exactly where you want to look. You can follow the ball if you want to follow the ball, or you can look at the coach if you want to look at the coach, that kind of thing. Yeah, so the real, the real beauty of virtual reality is not going to be the places that it can take you, but the people that you're going to be able to meet. What our brains want to do is they want to look at faces and they want to have conversations and they want to have make human connections. And so at the beginning of the phase, there was, there were a bunch of experiences of, Oh, you could feel like what it's like to stand on Mars. That stuff is a little gimmicky. The thing that's actually like meaningful in a long-term way are these uh, virtual reality opportunities where you are in virtual reality with another person and you're making a connection to that person, and that person is a ne- is a is somebody that you would never connect with in your in your every everyday life. Uh, an, an AI person or a person person, a re- representation. You could be either, I suppose. It could be it could be an actor from one of your favorite shows. It could be a singer who's one of your favorite celebrities. Whoever that person is, it could be just a very interesting person that doesn't live in your town that you would never come in contact with. Uh, if it weren't for the power of technology to connect people that wouldn't otherwise be connected. Talk to me about 
the editing, if any, in some of these pieces? Because, again, I haven't done virtual reality, but I can imagine if there's a scene playing between two people, I can stand anywhere in the room I want and look at them from any angle I want. But I'm kind of, I hate to play devil's advocate, but I'm kind of old school, and I kind of like it when... Martin, yeah, Martin yeah. Scorsese goes for the close-up because that's the important moment, and I want to, you know, I want to be, I want to be shown that 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 language of film. So, how does how does the editing and the how does this affect the storytelling and the structure and the editing? Well, it works very similar to the way that film or theater work. That take, for instance, we did a Walking Dead experience this past fall. In the headset, there's heat maps that show where different people looked at different points in time, because we're sorry, telling where your audience looked, like statistics of where the mm-hmm. audience looked. Okay, so they, they're, you're, you're getting data points of like a lot of people, you know, 90% of people looking over here at this point in time. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And in an experience like that, just like if you were watching a movie, because we're telling a story, because we want to control the POV of the viewer, they're all looking at the same places at all the same times. Mm-hmm. And that the real thing that's happening with virtual reality is not that you can look everywhere. It's that you're looking at something that doesn't have edges. Mm-hmm. And when your mind sees something that's on a screen, it sees the edges and it remembers something that it saw. But when you're looking at something with no edges, it's no different from looking at the real world and your mind remembers not something that you saw, but something that you did. So just on a basic level, like editing, are there cuts in, in these in these things or do they just sort of is it just all play out like one long take because it's... It's an environment. Well, so there's 360 video, and then there's interactive game engine, full, fully immersive experiences. The 360 video, the editing is a language of editing that's similar to film, okay. where you want to you want to cut to create emotional impact and to drive the story forward. In fully immersive, interactive virtual reality, there's still cuts because you want to take somebody from from one scene to another, but within a scene you want to do everything that you can to make somebody feel like they're deeply immersed and they've forgotten that there's any kind of technology to it at all so the power of it is just that feeling of being there i suppose Mm -hmm. so circling back to ai how is this going to affect branding and marketing if you can give me just like a snapshot of what you see like a common daily consumer experience will be like in 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 the near future well so imagine that the biggest challenge with marketing is personalizing the message that every person is going to have a version of that message that's going to land most effectively with them. So what AI empowers is it gives you real time data about what's going on in the person's head that you're trying to communicate a message to. And with that information, you can deliver the message in a way that's more apt for what they want, for what they want to hear. So what does this mean specifically? A good example would be something in pre-sales where you think about the, the online e-commerce sales funnel and somebody wants to go to Lowe's because they want to be buying a stove. There's the traditional sales funnel, which is, okay, you, you want, you clicked here cause you want to see the stove selections here's a bunch of stove options. Here's a bunch of reviews about those stoves. Well, when you, when you start kind of putting conversation into that, now all of a sudden it's who's a famous chef that has more 
credibility when it comes to the perfect stove than anybody you knew right. that anything that you could read about and that person's asking you what are the main what are your main reasons for cooking are you cooking for your family are you cooking for big groups do you cook once a week and then you're giving that information to this face and this person and this persona that you trust and that based on the information that you're giving now this person who's a world-renowned expert in this product is giving you a suggestion for what he th or she thinks you should buy. And now all of a sudden, the kind of unpersonalized un e-commerce shopping experience has now become extremely personalized based on a single question. And the trust that comes from asking one question, getting an answer, and feeling like somebody's paying attention to you is incredibly valuable when it comes to selling different features. Do you think we could ever see something like an AI smile and dial uh, type boiler room that comes in, or or even a, you know an AI car salesman type? Because it seems like you could pretty much program them with sales techniques and asking the right questions and pushing the right buttons on somebody. Do you think we'll see something like that? Because what, what you're describing is pretty benign, but couldn't um, couldn't this easily be made into just like a really effective salesperson? Yeah, I think that there's some requirements on any marketer to not cross that line mm -hmm. um, just in terms of general ethics. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm considered unethical. I mean, we're dealing with salesmen already, but couldn't mm -hmm. we, theoretically, couldn't we have a machine learning salesman that's, that's just, that has the, uh, has all the algorithms that, uh, you know, your, your average salesman already has up in his head. Yeah. For practical execution of this type, these types of ideas, it's uh, it's going to be incremental for kind of the near future, the next six months. Mm -hmm. um, and by incremental, I mean when you are chatting with a customer service chatbot, maybe the first couple questions are a chatbot, and then that's passed off to a human. Right. So it's it's AI aided. Right. It's not full general Getting intelligence. Getting them to a certain silo, a certain funnel point, mm -hmm. and then the human takes over. And so the idea that something uh, on sales is happening where the first few interactions are driven by AI and then based on those f first few interactions it's passed off to a human mm -hmm. and the human has the information of what what you communicated to the AI in those first in those first couple steps mm -hmm. that that feels like a very very realistic thing in the near future who are some of the big brands that are uh, leading the way here with this kind of thing leading the way is of course the big tech companies so Google, Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, IBM, those are th those types of companies are doing the most to push the AI, the possibilities of AI forward because they actually are companies that have products that service the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. When it comes to to marketing and just general fortune 100 fortune 500 companies all of the biggest companies have these initiatives when you uh, hear from the biggest advertising agencies what are the biggest priorities that their clients are telling them they want to be doing be implementing in 2018 AI and especially as it relates to voice and because of the rise of Alexa and Google Home um, is the, at the top of that list are, do you know if the advertising agencies are prepared for that? kind of thing? I mean, do they, 
you think you think they're ready to step up to that? They probably don't have an AI department yet. I think that I think they all generally have innovation groups that have been following trends, uh-huh. and that those um, those companies have been tracking various vendors in the different spaces that are the best deal the best for dealing with them. Mm-hmm. And what what are the platforms you think are poised to take advantage of this? Alexa. Okay. When you see something that is the number one selling product across all of Amazon.com in the, uh, for the holiday season, that's a sign that that's a platform that has gone past early adopters mm-hmm. and is can now be considered ubiquitous. And the way that Alexa works is it's it's a platform like the iOS app store was a platform and that every brand is going to need a presence in the Alexa store and that every brand is going to, there are going to be things that are great for their brand as in terms of what can be done with voice. A great example of a company that people probably don't think of as an innovation company is Campbell's. Mm-hmm. And that Campbell's has been all over getting on, t- getting ahead of, of the game at, as it relates to Alexa. And one of the one of the reasons why is because Alexa is really great in the kitchen. Right. For a time when you can't use your hands because your hands are you <laughs> chopping know, onions. <laughs> chopping onions. It's a great uh, it's a great time to be able to get information with your voice. Where does AR come into all of this? You think that's kind of a side hustle, but like it's a separate thing, or you think they're going to integrate, or do you think AR is going to really take off? I think they're all they're all one and the same. What we're talking about is immersive content. When you think about what is content, content is a message that you want to communicate. Whether that's a tool to communicate that is adding AI through to enable a conversation through Alexa, or whether the best way to communicate that message is through being able to take advantage of the space that you're in through the camera on your phone and be able to place objects in the phone on, in that space. D- let's describe to people what AR is because maybe not everybody knows. So a great example of a really good branded AR app is the IKEA AR app. So this is one where you want to buy a couch, you're sitting in your living room, you point your phone at the wall, and then it places the purple couch there. And then you look at how that looks in your room and you say, eh, I like that, I don't like that. Let's see a different one. And it places the yellow couch and then the blue couch. And it's this idea of using the camera in your phone to, to merge the world, out, the non-digital world with digital objects. And for the record, it stands for augmented reality. In case right. <laughs> we didn't cover that. <laughs> you know, all these, new, these terms are all really new. Gosh, it almost seems like the phone is, uh, it's like it'd be so much better with like uh, Google Glass or just something that, you know, I have to lug around my phone and hold it up to see if the couch fits there, like to combine the two. All these things seem combinable in a way. Yeah, I think 5G will do a lot for that because a lot of the processing that's happening on the phone right now will start to happen in the cloud. And when that's happening in the cloud, all of the challenges to the size of phones, the size of, of microprocessors start to go away. So all of the heating issues that 
go on with a phone and all the reasons why you wouldn't want a phone attached to your head all day, yeah. that goes away. When I was looking at AR, I kept thinking about QR, like the QR readers, you know, and I remember when that kind of first came out, um, I don't know, there's a lot of buzz about it. I used to use it in some of the campaigns I worked, but it just, it never got traction. Do you think AR is different? Um, do you think it, it could suffer the same fate or? I think with all of these things that each time there's a new innovation, there's another step up in terms of the capability of, of visual, communicating visual messages mm. um, or just messages in general. And that AR will just be another another tool in the toolkit that there will be times when ARs use really well, like the Ikea uh, app that has like great utility and is very practical. And then there will be other times where it's not and the times that are practical and serve a utility, they'll stick around. And then the things that aren't will be forgotten. So the Ikea app, I mean, that's an actual app you launch. Um, is that where most of the AR is taking place right now? Because I remember, again, going back to the QR, it seemed like the, the killer on that was that you had to actually open the QR reader in order to zap something and mm -hmm. go to the website or you know, whatever the five or six things that it could do. Um, it's, I kept thinking, like, well, if it just came in the camera so that all you got to do is point your phone at the product and it'll tell you how much it is or whatever you want it to do. So do, do you think, uh, is there any talk about... AR being incorporated into the iOS or just coming like just so it's just easier to launch. You don't have to launch a specific ad uh, app. Yeah. I think it'll be like, if you think about video as it related to websites, that every brand had their, their website, eventually every website had a video player on it. Similar type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about where does web traffic really happen today and what percentage of websites are are viewed through like a, a Facebook web view mm -hmm. well Facebook is a company that's dedicated to to using the camera on the phone to enable augmented reality okay and that so when you're seeing stories on their Facebook feed those will having a, an AR integration to it will be something that happens very soon. Well, um, any other big takeaways from the uh, from the panel or any prognostication you'd like to do as far as uh, the biggest thing when it comes to this kind of bleeding edge tech is how fast it's all moving. That there's the principles of of uh, exponential acceleration when it comes to technology, and this is a moment in time when everything that's happening both on the AI side and on the visuals as it relates to AR and VR are increasing so fast that the ecosystem of of developers developing apps for them is increasing at that same speed. And then the ability to build new things based on the apps that are being developed that are being enabled by the, the hardware increase is all um, just hitting a breakneck speed and that the things that are, were possible six months ago feel like forever ago now, and the things that are going to be possible in six months are things that we can't even really conceive of today. Yeah, this is really exciting times. Kevin Cornish, leading expert on VR, AI, and AR. Thanks for coming on the AMA Los Angeles podcast. Thanks so much. 
You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by Joel Metzger and Icebox Logic.